0: Hello and welcome to today's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. Today's episode is called The Great Copper Panic. We're going to look at the commentary around a copper shortage in the decades ahead and see if the numbers justify this position. We'll also delve into the green metals used in the production of renewables and see what trends are likely to emerge. Firstly, on the agenda, we're going to look into the numbers to see if we actually have enough green metals for this transition. Next, we're going to look at the political risks of the major commodity producers and processors. Then Damien's going to do some myth-busting on some of the common arguments out there around renewables. We'll also look at the two recent reports that have come out saying we don't have enough copper, and we'll actually see if their assumptions stack up. And as always, at the end, we'll cover the investment implications. Uh, as always, we have Nucleus Wealth's co-founder and chief investment officer, uh, Damien Klassen. Prior to this, he spent 26 years as a portfolio manager and equity, equity analyst, amongst other achievements. So Damien, welcome.
1: Hi, Sam. Hey
0: very good thanks um so it's just damon and i today my name is sam kerr i'm a senior financial advisor at Nucleus wealth uh and today i'll be the host of the show uh so just a bit of housekeeping before we get started uh just a quick reminder if you jo- enjoy our content please subscribe to our youtube channel and click the bell below to be notified when we go live or have a new episode recorded uh um, as, as, mentioned, this is recorded live, uh, every Thursday at 1230. So jump onto the nucleus Wealth YouTube channel and you can ask questions, uh, and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. You can also follow us on your preferred podcast platform as our show is also available on all the majors. And if you'd like to look at the slides in more detail, we'll post them in the show notes this afternoon, and you can view these at nucleuswealthcom forward slash webinars so now we've got that housekeeping out of the way we'll get into things so Damo over to you
1: yeah thanks Sam um relatively uh Ah, uh, graph heavy today. So uh, I, I sort of, I'll try and uh, I'll try to explain it for anyone sort of listening into the podcast. Uh, w- because I think that the concepts are are, are hopefully relatively uh, relatively simple to go through. And the reason why was, um, we're running this this week is uh, there's been a couple of reports come out recently. One in particular from Wood Mackenzie that we'll go we'll dig a bit more deeply into. Um, came out uh, last week, maybe ten days ago. And just talking about uh, highlighting that you know that there's not enough copper um, and that there's there's going to be a big shortfall and and I think prices are going to you know whatever it was eleven twelve thousand um, dollars a ton uh, and that um, and and you know we're going to be uh, struggling with um, struggling with supply the whole time and so um, and S and P sort of had a similar report out uh, maybe a month or two earlier. And I just want to sort of dig into some of the numbers because uh, there are other sort of just as reputable organisations that have that have different forecasts. And and for me, uh, I think the the, the other I'm, I'm more partial to the other side of the story. And I just want to sort of dig into some of the underlying numbers that, that are behind these. Um, so that you can sort of try and for people to try and work out where the hype is, because obviously there is this um, this real push to uh, to use renewables and real push for for investors to say, well, how can I make money from from this transition? And uh, just sort of trying to get to the the bottom that you're not buying the hype at, at the wrong part of the, the, the cycle, and, and you're getting into the ones that that, um, that genuinely do or genuinely are going to um, uh, create good re- good investment returns. So I thought I'd start with a, a chart, and I've used a lot of them from the IEA, which is a, uh, an international body. Um, it was originally sort of uh, for, for energy security, but but they do a lot of research and a lot of statistics into uh, the whole energy transition from uh, carbon fuels across to renewables. And um, so, so this is one of their charts, and, and a lot of them in, in, in this one are today. I think we've got some... Uh, Got a recent report up, and uh, where we've highlighted that rep- we've linked to that report, you can sort of jump in and and read all three of these yourself. But um, but the one we've got showing is just sort of tracking. Well, first of all, electric cars versus conventional cars, and it's got all some of these key uh, minerals. And so we can see that um, uh, conventional cars use about 25 kilos of um, of, of copper, uh, whereas electric cars more like 50, a little bit over 50. Uh, there's um, manganese, bit of manganese in the conventional,s but and and a lot more in in electric cars. And then there's all these other um, uh, minerals that are going into electric cars that that just sort of aren't in that um, aren't in those conventional cars. And you sort of end up with uh, you know 200 odd kilos of of these of these other uh, these other metals. And then you look at the the power generation, and and it's a similar story in terms of there being uh, your natural gas and coal, uh, the, the the natural gas and coal fired power plants. Don't use that much uh, in the way of, of, of uh, metals per megawatt, but when you start jumping into solar PV and 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 particularly the wind, um, you start getting a lot of these other uh, a lot of these other uh, metals coming through, and so uh, you know the, the raw thing of looking at that is yeah okay we need to make sure we've got enough of these other metals, and so the question um, comes back to you know that you look at the say the conventional car and go um, oh there's you need double in an electric car and uh, um there's actually the uh is it the International Copper the Copper Association of some sort, uh, they talk about it being four times as much. And and that looks like the numbers that the Wood Mackenzie and SP have grabbed on as well. And they're talking about a four times as much um per per kilo, per per electric vehicle as for 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 copper. And so it sounds like it's really big and and but what you need to keep doing is coming back and going, well, how big is is that actually of the total supply? And so that's where the the next chart I'm showing that well for lithium yeah it's a big deal. Um, Actually, I might even jump Sam to the. um, I'm gonna skip that one. Actually, just jump to the growth of selected um, minerals. Uh, And and what that one's what this one's basically showing is well for lithium we need 42 times as much lithium as what we've got in 2020. And so that yes that's a big deal. Um, Graphite um, yeah we're gonna need 25% 25 times uh, as much graphite. Uh, 21 times as much cobalt 19 times as much nickel seven times as much rare earths doesn't have copper on this chart because uh the copper act, copper use isn't actually that big it's only about another uh 10 or 20 percent more based on their numbers um so uh and, and the reason why is because coppers already really big it's already used for a lot of a lot of other things and so when it, when i push back to these green metals you know it really comes back to, to two things um you know one is how abundant is this and how easy is it to get up and running the, the supply but then the second is how big is the rest of the market because uh in copper in particular uh the rest of the market is so big that that you're actually not just not have, you, you're just not having that much of an effect on it by um uh yeah in, in terms of expansions uh so okay so so we know there's some minerals that that we're going to need lots and lots more of uh now the question is you know where are we going to get it from and is it available? So the issue then uh, comes back to, f- first of all, is political risk. So if you look at the the sort of top three producers of oil and gas and and natural gas, um, tends to be uh, US, Russia sort of makes up most of it, and then the question is whether it's Saudi Arabia or Iran or, or you know, Australia ranks quite highly in, in natural gas and so does Qatar in terms of exported LNG. But, um, you know, the, the top three sort of make up a little bit over 40-something percent. In some of the other ones, say platinum, the top three producers uh, in terms of countries make up almost ninety um, percent. Uh, lithium, you know, the top three producers makes up sort of eighty five percent. And so, uh, you know, it comes back to saying, well, what are the risks within this? And so, um, you know it, could we have another Russia situation? I guess is where I'm getting to with this. Is that if you do get a breakdown, a further breakdown in Russia, and and maybe a further splintering of, of China versus the rest of the world. Where are the uh, where are the touch points, and that's what uh, uh, the US is sort of going through at the moment and trying to work out where, supply chain wise. Where are they really um, uh, reliant upon one or two countries, and so the big ones there for for political risks, cobalt in the Democratic um, Republic of Congo is a huge one, uh, and then graphite and, and rare earths, uh, e two others where most of it's coming from China. For rare earths, uh, that's actually largely because um, uh, partly oh sorry actually so this is this is just the extraction side I should jump before I go into the next bit let let me jump also to the um, to the processing side then then when you get to the processing side and, and three the top three tend to make up well almost 100 percent for for a number of these for a number of these metals so China alone makes up sort of 85 percent of rare earth's processing um and, and you know, China's in every single one of these China's uh you know over over 60 percent for cobalt uh, a little bit under 40 for for nickel, you know, over almost sixty percent for for lithium and and forty percent for for copper in terms of the amount of processing they do. Now, processing isn't doesn't have as much political risk in it. In that, uh, processing plants tend to be faster to get up and running. So, you know, if you do have start having problems, uh, then then you can you can see that the the um, uh, you, you know conceivably within a year or, or eighteen months you could have a new processing um, facility up and running. Uh, you know, if you if you really cared, and 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 there the were big shortages and things like that. Whereas the mining side, um, look, if the if the if the metal just isn't in the ground near you, in a, in a, in, you know, it's, it's obviously a lot harder to get out. So, so we do need to keep in mind these political risks um, in, in terms of how we're looking at it. Uh, and I guess the other part is, um, you know, the, where's the growth coming from? Because for some of these, say lithium, yeah, look, a lot of the processing is in China. Um, a lot of the uh, um, you do have a lot of lithium coming out of China as well, but a lot of growth is is in is in other countries, and and so the US in particular is growing there. We've got Australia growing, and and you can you've also got a lot of South American countries uh, growing their their production of lithium. So yeah, so not as much on the political risk front. Um, okay, so oh sorry, yeah, there is there's there's things to keep in mind on the political risk front that we need to sort of. Yeah, if we're buying minerals, you know, ignoring ignoring the political risk is is sort of not something you can you can do. The next part is then the um, the emissions part, and and sorry, I just wanted sorry a bunch of myth busting on, on these, and this is sort of before we get into to, to you know I guess digging into these commodities a little bit more closely. Now the first one is um, you know you often hear people say, oh well, you know the, if you if you think about the lifetime cycle of a of an electric car because um, you know, you've got to dig up all these extra minerals and process all these extra minerals and all that type of stuff. Um, is that it's actually not that uh, environmentally friendly? Now, it is true that a, a battery battery electric vehicle takes a lot more uh, minerals than than um, you know internal combustion engine cars. But um, if you look at that um, on a on a longer term sort of life of vehicle basis, what we're talking about is uh, you know a a combustion engine car coming out with about forty tons of uh, of carbon dioxide, to so sort of equivalent over the average vehicle lifetime. At the moment, if you bought a car and plugged it into a sort of a, a carbon um, uh, network of, of, of you know where it, was, where it was all carbon, you probably wouldn't be far off that. But mostly that's because of the uh, the electricity grid, and as the electricity grids um, you know green themselves over time then uh the expectation is that will fall so so it's basically that it, there isn't actually that much more in in terms of the the production of the the, the good uh, the production of the car itself it's maybe 30 40 percent more but but where you where you're going to get all the cost savings is is really it's it's where your energy comes from and so if you're getting energy from um solar panels or you're getting energy from quite green grids um then then you're avoiding the, the, the carbon so I guess I just wanted to highlight that you know you see that you see that everywhere um, that trope that you know they, they don't help the, the environment but but actually they really do help the environment. It all comes down to the, the electricity grid though. If You plugging into a dirty grid, it doesn't help that much. But um, you know, it's obviously a much easier solution to go change your cars across to point to electricity and then change your grid to uh, to be renewables. Um, another one is the. Uh, it is worth noting that we've got. Pretty high energy costs at the moment, so that's going to affect. I've got a, a couple of charts just showing up. That's going to affect um, some some nickel, uh, uh, copper, zinc, aluminium are, are really going to get affected by that in terms of the uh, in terms of higher energy costs. Will will flow through, but having said that, it's it's not going to flow through that much. So you know, um, if you look at say lithium and the lithium price has gone up, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Um, uh in, in recent uh in sort of in recent months, you know, less than ten percent of the lithium cost comes back to the actual energy within that. And so, you know, even if the energy cross cost doubled for, for lithium, you are only gonna add, you know, seven or eight percent more to the costs. So it, it's it's a um the the costs are, are high for some minerals, but really not high enough to um to to, to mean that prices should double or triple for, for these. Uh, okay, so that's our um, uh, energy. The the big one for me is coming back to this technology um, issue. So, um, I've got I've got a chart up, which is actually it's it's a, quite a complicated chart, but it's basically showing that a whole bunch of different ranges um, of of use for for various metals, and it really comes down to um, what technologies are. chosen so if you decided say um, so so in within electric uh, motors there's there's basically two main types of of electric motors there's a permanent magnet type which uses uh, not much copper um, and but a fair bit of uh, rare earths and and that's um, tends to be a lot more efficient um, but more expensive Um, then you've got an induction motor which is which uses a lot more copper uh, a lot less rare earths, and so, so it ends up being a lot cheaper, but it, but it is less efficient. And so, you know, the, the, what which one of those wins out will really determine how much rare earths is going into the electric vehicles and and how much uh, copper. So you know, if you uh, at the moment ninety percent of uh, cars are using these permanent um, magnet ones, and so that means that you're uh, you're really not looking like using that much copper. But um, but if it flipped and the technology changed, then then all of a sudden there's a there's a reason to to need a lot more copper within these these cars, um, and that that goes right across the the range, you know. Um, so in terms of um, uh, the sorry, I've turned off my phone. Um, the amount of uh, the amount of uh, rare earth is, is is another big one that's obviously gets affected. Uh, and and cobalt, uh, so some of these other ones. It comes down to the battery technology chosen, and I'll, I'll move into that a little bit later. Uh, the other thing is just thinking through those amounts. So I spoke a little bit about it, but I've, I've got a chart up just sort of showing, showing copper demand from from uh, solar um, PVs, and that's probably going to triple the amount of copper needed for um, for, for solar power uh, out to two thousand and forty. Uh, the issue is it's it's tripling, but it's tripling from a very low number. And so, you know, yes, you're going from 300 odd million, uh, sorry, 300 odd thousand tons to, to to a million tons. But when there's sort of 33 million tons uh, being produced every year anyway, it's not, it's it's really not a big deal over, over 20 odd years. It's really like, you know, a growth of sort of 0. 0.1 or 0.2%. So, um, so, yeah, so, so coming back to those amounts and sort of avoiding cause, cause all, all the investment, um, stuff I see always talks about, oh, you know, the demand for copper is going to triple from just from from solar panels alone, and you're like, yes, it is, but but they just don't use very much, and so um, yeah, bring it back to those numbers, the the, the bigger picture numbers, um, and then uh, the other thing is keeping in mind the actual profile of these mines. So I've got some charts off, just showing some of the um, uh, some of the charts for the amount that's already coming on. So, for example, for cobalt, we've already got basically a doubling of supply um, based on on projects that are already in uh, in production. Now there is going to be a lot more cobalt needed throughout the rest of the decade, but um, you know over the next couple of years there's a there's a certain amount that's already sort of baked in. For copper, it's a little bit different in that we do have a sort of declining profile for copper in that there is a um, a sort of lack of uh, or some of these mines are starting to run out later on in the uh, in the decade. And so you will need new some of these new projects that are, that are on the drawing board at the moment to to get up and running. Um, but the, the line for copper is is a lot lower than than the line for these others. And um, uh, I think yeah, I think there's it, it's it comes down to um, weighing up. You know, are, are there some projects out there that that notionally have a ten year mining life, but actually um, you know that they they can easily be extended for uh, for longer
0: periods as well. And Damien, is this is this sort of the primary reason where these reports coming out, you know, saying there's going to be a copper shortage? Is that where this is coming from? This this type of graph? Uh, Yeah, because of the declining profile. Yep. But but the other thing
1: is, uh, so Wood Mackenzie is looking for I think 55 million tons of copper by 2040, Um, whereas uh, I think the IEA is talking more like 35. Tons. So there's like some some really big differences in assumptions. And I'll, I'll get into that for copper specifically, but but some of these other minerals have the same type of, um, do, do have the, the same type of, um, I guess, uh, uh, differences in opinion about which technology. So, so you know, cobalt is, a, is an important one. You know, you could sort of go all out on cobalt and go, yes, this thing's going to be, you know, we need lots and lots and lots of it. And we do, we need whatever it was, six or seven times the amount of cobalt that we used to have. But there are technologies out there that just don't use very much cobalt at all. There's battery technologies, and so um, if you went all in on cobalt, and then one of these other battery technologies wins out, then um, you know you, you, you've lost your you've lost your investment bet. Um, and uh, and and the te- this technology is uncertain. You know, it's 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 hard to tell which is which is going to be the winning battery chemistry. I think I heard that there was a um, or a, yeah, I heard on a podcast there was. I think it's seventy companies that have raised over a hundred million dollars each um, for for various battery technologies, and so they're not all going to be right. Um, uh, and, and each of them sort of got a, a different twist on it. I think there's, uh, you know, from from my take, I think the solar batteries are going out just given the um, uh, the benefits you get, and the, and the so they're they're lighter for the, the the amount of power you get out of them, and they and they fix the chemistry; they'll be they'll be safer. So that sort of looks like a a relatively, um, uh, I guess, a relatively certain sort of line of development. But again, within the solid state, there's there's a whole bunch of different technologies within that. That in terms of how they're going to, um, you know, the different um, makeups of the uh, of the of the metals. So yeah, it is it is difficult, and they and they do change for those. Mm. So moving moving into copper. Um, the first thing I wanted to highlight is just that there has been a lot of capex, especially in recent years. So uh, we've got here just sort of some charts showing that it's been somewhere between 10 and $20 billion worth of spending for the last five or six years um, in, in terms of the amount yeah, of, of new supply projects. Uh, and all these types of reports are, mean that, you know, there are lots more uh, sitting ready, waiting, ready to go. So generally speaking, um, all these minerals... We don't have a shortage of even rare earths. Rare earths are not actually that rare. Um, the problem with rare earths is they're, they're just very um, uh, they're very damaging environmentally, and so most of the processing gets done in China because they have lower environmental standards, and and, uh, and other countries haven't been willing to bear those risks. So, um, but but that's changing, and 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 then the issue has been that you know if you're trying to get one of these up and running in say the US. Um, your, your overhead and the cost of all the compliance and, and everything is, is has just been um, prohibitive. Uh, and whereas in China, they haven't had to have as much of those compliance, and so they've um, uh, you know the costs are lower. What's happening now is they're getting subsidies and they're getting incentives to, to actually sort of onshore things in in, in the US, which is sort of bringing those uh, bring those costs back to, to more in line. Uh, the other thing then is yeah. So let's let's turn into copper because I think that's probably the bigger one, and, I, and I've got a piece up on. On copper um on our website and, and a few other places sort of digging in a little bit more into these arguments so we know there's lots of capex coming uh, if we look at long-term prices for copper and look at the costs so the cost of a mine um you know it's it's about five at, at about five thousand dollars a ton they tend to shut down um that that's sort of below the getting starting to get below the costs of a number of the higher cost producers and they start closing up at ten thousand dollars a ton. Uh, we get bucket loads of mines and expansions and all that type of stuff happening so I sort of as a big sort of broad picture I sort of go and this is a chart sort of going back a hundred years showing that that you know pretty much oscillates between those two extremes is that uh, you know at ten thousand dollars a ton I'm, I'm, I'm more likely to be a seller and at five thousand dollars a ton I'm, I'm more likely to be a buyer of copper um, currently it's sort of seven to eight thousand dollars you know it's now a question about um, uh, it's now really a question about where are we in the in the economic cycle and are we going to see that um uh, you know slow down into recession and and a few other and slowing chinese um, demand and a bunch of new mines that are coming on so you know net net i'm, I'm more on the negative side at the moment from a for the shorter term perspective but but you know current price if you're just going kind of buying and forgetting about it current prices are probably what you'd expect over the next sort of 20 odd years you know adjusted for inflation for,
0: for copper um, yeah, Damo, I, I do just want to jump in there. Um, mm. I want to let the viewers know, last year, you've been pretty spot on about about your calls on copper. Uh, April last year, you put a piece out about um, sort of counter to the view of copper. There was a lot of commentary around uh, you know, a super cycle and commo- commodity prices, mm. uh, but you sort of uh, took the counter view to that and said, yeah, maybe maybe in prices in the short term, but not in volumes. Uh, I think you did that in sort of April twenty one. The the price was getting sort of close to ten thousand, and and you thought you know similar to what you're saying here at that sort of level, uh, you'd more likely be a seller. Um, And then I think the month after May, it sort of peaked out at ten and a half thousand and. You know, a lot of people, a lot of commentators were still saying, "Oh, you know, for you need copper for for an inflation hedge. It's going to go higher." Um, That's right.
1: There was that whole uh, Wall Street push for commodities. You got to you got to have inflation. You got to have copper. It's going the only thing that's going to save you from inflation. And meanwhile, as inflation broke out, it fell thirty percent. Yeah, so, and they're still t- they're still telling you you got to buy commodities. Buy, buy, yeah, buy. Right.
0: and uh, and you actually you copped a lot of flack for that at the time. Um, there was, yeah, there yeah, was-
1: it was a, it was a story of the minute, and you had half, well, not half of Wall Street, ninety percent of Wall Street, all behind the whole push. You know, get more, get more, get more, get more, and so um, yeah, I think that's. I mean, I'd, at the moment, I'm not not hugely negative on it. I'm, I'm negative from a from a cyclical point of view, but uh, but you know. At current prices, if you're just buying and forgetting it, you would like, "Well, this is about the price you'd expect to get over the longer term." So, but but I do think there's a down cycle before coming before there's an up cycle again. Um, yeah, and, and and the other thing is, you know, there, there's always a grain of truth behind these bubbles and and the, the 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 um you know the push behind it and the grain of truth is, yeah, we do need more copper for for all these things. We need triple the copper for for solar panels and all that type of stuff. But but then the flip side is, um, you know. There's there's other there's other sources that are going to fall and and uh, where where you'll get it from.
0: Yeah, excellent. Oh, I, I just wanted to let everyone know that you're uh, you know you're on the money on on the on the copper chat. So, um, yeah, let you carry on. Yep. So
1: the other the next chart I'll, I'll show is just the um, uh, still on these long term prices. Is coming back to um, the. Uh, the copper grades, because that's the other thing you hear is that, look, oh, your copper grades are falling. Um, You know, 100 years ago, you're getting 4% copper, and now you're getting 0.4% copper per tonne. It's just getting harder and harder, and the costs are getting higher and all that type of stuff like that. Now, um, I'll sort of take that, you know, and and we've mined all the easy stuff is what you hear. And and that's absolutely true. We've definitely mined all the easy stuff, but we've been mining all the easy stuff for 200 years or or longer, you know, 1,000 years. in the 1800s, you know, you, the the types of head grades you'd get is like 10 to 15% copper, um, but you're doing it with a pick and a shovel. You know, it was like, it's, it's, it was a completely different thing now. And then you moved into sort of automated mining and now there's like these bulk mining methods and, and you're getting robots and to doing more and more of it and driverless trucks and, and all that type of stuff. Like it's, yes, it's getting harder. Yes, the grades are getting lower, but the technology is getting better as well. And so, um, yeah, it's sort of it's no different to me for for how we've seen things for for basically you know the last couple hundred years. Um, so then then I jump to this um, the other chart I'll put up is this this Wood Mackenzie one where where this is where they're saying they think copper's growing from the demand for it's growing from sort of twenty eight or twenty nine million in in twenty twenty to fifty five million in in twenty forty. Um, and really though, you know. The, I mean, I could, I could pick on some of the other assumptions, but the the key, the three big ones I want to pick on is their their organic growth, um, their their EVs, and their grid related costs, uh, grid related growth. So that sort of gives you pretty much all that growth um, from from those. Basically, nine million from one, nine and a half from from electric vehicles, and then and then six point seven from from grid related. So let's sort of dig into each of those just to sort of have a look at the assumptions that that look like they've made. So the first one is the amount of copper that goes into an electric vehicle. Now you need about we spoke before about twenty five kilos of copper in a, in a vehicle, and I've have got a chart up to sort of just showing that uh, the difference between uh, a battery uh, EV, which is a BEV on on this chart, and and the ICE is the internal combustion engine. So um, so you have this glider that that's pretty that's the same for pretty much the same for both. Um, then you've got the EV motor and the generator uh, versus the sort of the internal combustion engine and the powertrain. Now, the EV motor uses a little bit more copper, but not a lot more. Um, really depends upon on what I spoke about before about that. Which, which way do you go? Now, 90% of them tend to be these permanent magnet batteries. Um, they use sort of, uh, you know, five kilos of copper versus uh, an induction one could use 20 so uh, if you assume that uh technology goes to the more efficient ones rather than the cheaper ones then um which is what which is what they've done here then that's where most of it comes from uh then you've got all these different battery technologies now um there's uh the ncas is nickel cobalt aluminium um nickel then you've got nickel manganese cobalt um and then so you can see all the different battery technologies there basically um the, uh, the LFP ones uh, are the main ones at the moment, so that's sort of using about um, 35, 40 kilos of of, um, of power at the moment, sorry, of um, uh, of copper. But all these other battery technologies that are out there and, and competing with it use about half that amount. Uh, the solid-state batteries, um, oh, sorry, they use maybe 30, 40% less. Uh, the solid-state batteries use about half. And so, uh, if you assume that you know you've got eighteen years to go till two thousand and forty, at some stages they'll sort out the, the solid state batteries. You know, the, the, the solid state batteries, talking about coming into production over the next two or three years, sort of you know two thousand and twenty-five and on. So, you know, let's say they got it wrong by by five years and they don't, they're not on until two thousand and thirty. You've still got a decade for them to sort of scale up. And so, uh, yeah, so so basically. If you, if you went, it looks like what um woodmax basically done is they've said okay well let's use uh the most copper intensive type of ev motors and let's use the most let's just use current battery technology and then you get to this this nice high number of, of lots and lots of copper needed and then you times that by 100 million cars in 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 20 2040 and mm-hmm. now you've got a, a, ma- a massive number whereas um yeah, if you go back and say well okay well what happens if they don't use that one if they only use the, the lower ones then all of a sudden you can go from their sort of nine million uh forecast back to about three million um worth of worth of copper needed so so almost all their shortage um you can get by just saying well which which is a technology is going to win out now i'm not saying i you know the ones i'm talking about will definitely win out but but there's a there's as much of a good argument in in the in the existing ones you know solar state batteries and and a uh, an induction, uh, sorry, a, a permanent magnet motor um, to uh, to to win out. Uh, then you say uh, then then the next thing they um, you look at on that front is then is, is even just dri- driverless cars. So um, again, this I mean this is definitely technology that's taken way longer to to evolve than than what people thought, and myself included. Uh, the the issue is we've got another 18 years to go uh if you're sure that we're not going to get um driverless cars up and running in the next 18 years then you can probably keep these assumptions if though driverless cars do work and um sometime in the next 18 years and they they take off as a you know basically the the uh the rough maths goes you know it's sixty dollars ish to rent a car um uh so you know the car company is basically happy to sell you a car for sixty dollars The the technology maker and puts on some overhead into that, and let's say you know takes up to seventy dollars. Usually, the cars only run at um, a quarter capacity. uh, Sorry, three quarters um, of the time that they ever rented out. So um, it's basically saying if you're, you know, a car company is happy to rent out a car for 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 call it fifty bucks a day, and and make a and make a profit on that in terms of um, a driverless car. So if they're making fifty dollars a day. Driving it for 15 hours, you know, doing say three trips an hour, you know, they've got to make like three bucks an hour on this thing. Like you're basically saying, um, uh, yeah, if they, if whatever, whatever they're charging, the, the, the actually the end consumer is probably going to be roughly, um, you know, public public transport prices for driverless cars. And so, if driverless cars do take off and and people can get effectively get a taxi for the same price as a uh, as a um, as public transport then the number of cars will will is very likely to plummet because people just won't have that second car or the third car. All all those seldom used cars will end up people will just end up getting um uh you know uh taxis effectively for it, driverless taxis. And so at that point, so I'm not saying this is a technology has to work over this time frame, but I'm just saying it seems like a, a pretty reasonable assumption sometime in the next 18 years it'll get up and running, you could find that the the car fleet all of a sudden, you know, the amount of new cars we need every year is half the amount uh, from 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 the year before, from sorry from from current times. Uh, so so yeah so so that's that's the biggest problem I have is 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 that one. The next one um, they have is this is organic growth figure. They they they've got like another um, you know eight or nine million worth of um, copper coming from organic growth. Now, for me, when you look at copper use per capita um over the last few years it's basically stalled for the last um eight or nine years uh basically going nowhere and that's this mind you includes all the actual electric vehicles we have come on already and all the all the grid changes and, and all that type of stuff like that so so if you take out the electric vehicles and you take out the grid um quite possibly this is going backwards in terms of the per capita use over the last uh you know over the last decade or so so um I I don't you know, have any special insight into this other than to say, well, look, it's, 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 if it's, if that's where it is now, and, and let's just say we use whatever the UN forecasts are for, for, um, population growth, um, well, you end up with a, a number about half of what, um, Wood McKenzie's forecasting. So there's sort of, so, so first we've, we've clearly gone, you can save, you know, they think we're, there's going to be nine million tons of copper that's missing. And then you're going, well, six of it comes from, from just using a different technologies in your EVs another four or five comes from using um just having a just saying population growth like we're already into negative um copper based on their their assumption um then and that's before you get to China and so China we, we've spoken a number of times about this the um yeah you know, the new floor space started in China um, china is actually the China the Chinese construction market is the biggest consumer of copper in the world um and housing starts are down um, you know 50% keeping in mind that copper gets used at the end of the process. So you build a house, um, it's, it's not until the end that really when you're, um, uh, you're putting in a lot of the appliances and sort of uh, the, the copper piping and stuff like that towards, well, I guess copper piping is probably towards the middle of it, but a lot of the appliances all come at the end. And so um, so you really haven't seen all of that downturn yet in terms of the uh, the Chinese copper as well. So so that's one more negative again in on top of all these um in top of all these negatives. Your biggest customer is 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 quite possibly gonna you know halve the amount of um copper that they use. Uh then you get to grids. So that was, a, that, was that was the third category um uh that, that we had so uh in terms of grids again it's this this idea um what I'm sure sh- I've got a graph just sort of showing that of the uh, of the amount of copper, sort of planned to use in grids from sort of 2030 to 2040, uh, most of it is is about grid expansion. So maybe three quarters of it is, uh, maybe a little bit more is is, is about um, expanding the grid in terms of the uh, in terms of distribution. So the issue for me, though, on this front is it's sort of a, I think it's probably the base case as a base case argument. It's probably it's probably fair enough. Um, that, that this is where it's going, but the issue is, this is assuming that grids grow in the same way they've grown at the moment, and, and we'll add on a, a big wind farm, you know, off the coast of um, uh, off the coast of Victoria, and, and then you'll need a lot of a lot of cables and everything like that to bring it all back. Um, but the issue is, maybe that won't actually be the way um, grids evolve. Maybe grids evolve more into sort of localized grids, where you might end up with sort of Transmission lines back that might be filling, helping to fill up batteries. So, so effectively, you go, um, you know, you have local, local grids for a few thousand houses. You've got a bunch of batteries, whether they're shared batteries or individual batteries in there. And, and they get, they get filled up by, by sort of local renewable technology. And then they get topped up by, by other sources from elsewhere. And if that's the case, if that's the, the model that, that, that we grow into, it's actually possible we might even need less transmission and less distribution than what we currently have. Because it's not about sort of transmitting, you know, huge amounts of energy right across the country. It's actually more about, you know, generating most of the energy where it's created, and then sort of trickle feeding batteries to fill them up if, when they when they get low or, or, or things like that. And so, um, so yes, so there's, there's some growth in grids, but I guess what I what I'll say is that there's a there's a feasible um, scenario where it doesn't actually, um, you know, grids don't fill up. Then uh, the other thing is on, on the technology front is um, uh, there's potentially there'll be a switch to using more DC systems. Um, and if that's the case, uh, DC the DC systems use a, a fair bit less copper. And so, um, uh, yeah, if, if that's the case, it, it, it is more efficient. Um, there's technology arguments for and against and, you know, AC is, is, is entrenched. But, um, you yeah, know, if there is switching, then uh, then there's less copper needed. The other thing is uh, a lot of transmission lines use a lot of aluminium as well. Um, and, and so aluminium works out for transmission lines uh, largely better because it, it conducts energy um, uh, worse than copper, but it is much, much lighter and it's cheaper. And so, um, yeah, there's a question about, you know, will you switch to more aluminium? Will you use DC? And just more reasons for the say, well, you know, it's not a lay down that that copper is going to have all this all this growth built in there's a number of technology um uh options that people have and and you know it's it's too hard to say which ones uh, going to be the, the the path that gets taken i guess where i'm getting to in this is sort of a, as a summary of the the overall bit is um okay so we've got all these we've got all these minerals and and will i'll dig into a, a sort of investment view at the end of this but we've got all these minerals we know there's lots of demand for it the flip side is most of them are actually really quite um, uh, they're, they're quite common, and so it is a it's a question of then saying how big is the actual you know, how big is the opportunity versus um, how quickly can this supply come online and 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 where are the where are the the prices meeting so you know copper is is probably the poster child for me of, of the most hyped um, for the least reason I do think some of the others have um, do have genuine growth in it. But a lot of that is already reflected in the price. So, um, yeah, lithium, for example, look, there are other technologies that could take over from lithium, um, but they seem to be unlikely to do so. And so, um, yeah, it does look like lithium is going to grow, you know, uh, astronomically. But there is just so much lithium around now. It's a question really about, um, and, and with, you know, it's, it's economical for most companies to pull it out of the ground. at, at at um below ten thousand dollars and prices are sort of currently fifty thousand dollars and so um it's just going to keep there's lots of incentive for for companies to um to just build out build that out and so yes there'll be shortages you'll make money from it here and there but as a long-term bet um you know i'd be saying fifty thousand dollars plus is is too high as a price uh, eventually it'll come down i don't know that could be 20 years though if 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 the mine doesn't doesn't keep up fast enough it could be much faster if, if all these mines come on board and then all of a sudden some technology changes and, and there's not as much lithium in some batteries and, and it could be going the other way so nice one
0: nice one Damo uh so we've had a little bit light on uh viewer questions today but David Lee's is uh he's saying copper recycling from used electric vehicles uh that'll also be a thing but hasn't you know that hasn't previously existed so I'd imagine in the future there's other you know recyclable um materials yeah
1: And, and the, the, all of these will move into a more steady state where you start going. Okay, so there's, so there's a lot of lithium we've got to pull out of the ground, but then in ten years' time, um, we'll, there'll be more recycling of the lithium that that, that we made today. And so, um, so there is that element of of recycling will definitely come and uh, and help ease some of that. Uh, and copper is a good example as well, where um, the trying uh, sort of set up some rules and trying to remember what they were. In sort of 2018 they they started banning a lot of the um uh china was doing a lot of recycling for other countries and then they started banning that so um and and the problem was so so that was a lot of that was like the um uh the cardboard and the uh the paper and stuff like that and so they're like ban it ban all these recycling things and what they sort of threw the baby out in the with the bathwater where they they banned a bunch of copper as well and then all of a sudden, they didn't have as much copper to 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 do to to recycle to sort of give them extra ones. So we sort of went through a bit of a lull, and that picked up again big time in twenty twenty one. Like that sort of we rocketed in terms of the number of in terms of the amount of actual uh, copper recycling that, that was going on. So yeah, there's sort of a bit of a natural pickup in some of these as well.
0: Yeah, excellent. Um, and I do just want to say you did uh, reach out to Wood Mackenzie, ask them to to come on the podcast. Uh, to, to debate some of their assumptions but um unfortunately you know, they didn't want to no politely declined um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, great so uh, now we have our viewer question of the week uh this is for viewers to have some discussion in the comment section over the coming days uh so the question for this week is which mineral is the best play on a ele- on an electric future uh so feel free to post your thoughts and engage with us and some of the other viewers over the coming days and uh, now we've just got the last segment: the investment implications.
1: Yeah. So um, okay. So so of the of the major ones, um, I guess it's worth noting as well. The one one I did mean to mention is that um, cobalt was one of the the ones that is going to double and triple and and um, you know take off in terms of the number the amount it's needed. The issue. Uh, so it was twenty times more cobalt needed than than what we have at the moment. The issue with that one is. Um, Cobalt actually is 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 usually a byproduct. So if people have got nickel mines or copper mines or or other things as part of doing that, copper gets cobalt often ends up being produced as a byproduct. And so the uh, the investment implication for that as as an individual sector is you need to keep an eye on what what else is going on. Uh, You know if there's a boom in copper and a boom in nickel um, in mines that also have cobalt, then you might end up with enough supply regardless. So it's almost like yeah, and and similar to how um, we've seen the the uh, oil and gas in the U.S. In that uh, all these producers producing lots of oil in the U.S. also produced gas, and so you ended up with really low gas prices in the U.S. Um, because it was a byproduct of something else. So so yeah, so keep keeping remembering, you know, what is being produced, how is it being produced, what are other things affecting it. Um, assume right now if you're reading about this stuff there's lots and lots of hype out there and you just need everything you just need to sort of take with a, a big grain of salt. Um, look at the technological risk and don't sort of go all in and going yes, I've decided this is the metal which is is for me and you know it's it's in all these different um, uh, you know, it's in all these different technologies and we're going to use lots of it and so therefore I need uh, I'm going I'm to buy lots of it. Um, you know the things like silicon which is effectively pretty much rock and, and so there is lots of it out there. It's a question of processing it's not a question of scarcity. And so, you know, keep in mind that a lot of these that are, are very available, and it's really just a matter of a price, of, you know, getting a price to a level where people are willing to, to 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 expand supply. So, so the net effect for us is that, you know, how we look at it, we, you know, there's there's people out there trying to find gold, I suppose, in 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 inverted commas, you know, in 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 these various minerals, and then there's other people out there who are selling the picks and shovels and actually saying, well, you know, once you've found this stuff, we'll then Plug it into the networks, and we'll do the work to to um, you know to build out the networks, or to change them, or, or put the batteries in, or whatever it is. That's where we're looking um, at the moment in terms of what we're buying is we're, they're the types of companies we're putting into it. We just look at the technological risk within these, uh, and also the uh, you know the current prices of a lot of these minerals versus their longer term expectations, and just don't think the risk uh, return uh, adds up at the moment.
0: Excellent. Um, that almost wraps us up, Damo. Thank you so much for putting on the show. And uh, I mean, it's a super well-informed view you're putting out there. I'm sure the, the viewers are going to get lots of insight out of that. Excellent. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, so we do welcome your feedback on this podcast, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. If you do have any ideas, please drop it in the comment section below or send us an email at contact at nucleuswealth.com. Just a reminder, this is general advice and does not take into account your personal situation. If you do want to discuss your personal financial situation, please go to our website at nucleuswealth.com forward slash contact, and you can book a call with me. Don't forget to like the video now, and if you know of anyone that might get some value out of today's episode, we'd really appreciate it if you can please share it with them. Also, if you'd like to see more of our previous episodes and content, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content. And to stay up to date with news from us, you can also follow us on all major social media. So for myself, Damien, and the rest of the team at Newkills Wealth, thanks for watching, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.